Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to the program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. You will recall in our first discussion when we defined dementia that dementia is caused by many different conditions. Today, we're going to be talking about concussions and chronic traumatic encephalopathy. This is something that you have read about in the newspapers. You have seen stories about it on television and on radio, and it's a problem that is getting increasing attention. Many years ago, a British researcher named Corsellus identified a condition that he called dementia pugilistica, pugilistica referring to boxing. And uh, dementia pugilistica was the punch-drunk boxer, the boxer that had had so many concussions that he was unable to walk well, unable to remember well, and things like that. Well, that's what we now call chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. And I am here with my friend Jack Abenchand. Uh, I've got to tell you about Jack. From Eunice, New Mexico, this man uh, excelled in football at the University of New Mexico and went on to spend a playing career with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And I would like you to know that as I am sitting here with Jack, I am wearing an autographed Saskatchewan Rough Riders cap. I know you can't see that. But just picture it because it's pretty awesome. Jack spent his career with Saskatchewan and was inducted into the Canadian Football League Hall of Fame about a year and a half ago. And uh, he was very humbled and, and very honored by that. And I have been blessed with the opportunity to get to know Jack better and better. Jack, welcome to the program. Thanks. It's a good opportunity to uh, sit down with you and relax some. We um, talk about relaxing together, and we seldom do that. That's correct. Well, Jack, you have had this love affair with football for many years. Uh, when yeah. did this begin? Well, it, it began uh, as soon as uh, I can remember. My dad loved football, and so I mean, it, I, it was it was I was raised in football. You know, I mean, right from when I was six and seven, and uh, there was football all around. So. I didn't start playing contact football until the eighth grade, and that was in Pop Warner in California. And uh, then you went on to high school, and I love what you told me sometime back, that you were such a good basketball player in college, that the, in high school rather, that they thought you would be a good football player. <laughs> That's correct, yes. <laughs> in fact, I, if I would have started the season, if the, if the seasons would have been backwards, it may have, may have been you know, more interested in me playing football after watching me play a basketball season. <laughs> <laughs> well, after so many seasons, Saskatchewan did win the Grey Cup. That's correct. The national championship in Canada. 1966. 1966? I was part of that, yeah. Boy, I was so young then, Jack. Yes, so was I. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? Oh, it was just, it's like, uh, it just, you just can't. I mean, it's it's the the apex of of your season. I mean, you know, you go, you try to win the Western Conference, and you try to, uh, then you try to to win uh, the Grey Cup and the gusto. The go gusto, for the gusto, right? It. Yeah. 
All right. And after those playing seasons and and after moving into various business management positions and things like that, you were notified, I think, probably about two years ago that you were being inducted into the Hall of Fame. That's correct. What an honor for you. Oh, thank you. And I know that you have um, stayed in touch with many of your teammates over the years, and I know that they celebrated that for you and with you, didn't they? they? Yes, they did. Uh But there's a price one pays in a contact sport like football. And that price, among other things, can be a concussion. You were an offensive lineman, and per play, offensive linemen have more concussions, I believe, than any other position. That's because we hit our heads against other heads, other objects, more often than anybody else. I I think that's probably exactly it. And as an offensive lineman, they don't let you move until the ball is snapped, whereas the other guys get to move whenever they want. That's correct. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, Jack, when was your first concussion? It was in high school. Do you remember what happened? Yeah. I, <clears throat> uh, I, I remember I was at uh, practice uh, getting ready to go for a drill, and uh, the coach said, Hut, it was a one-on-one situation. And the next thing I remember, I woke up in bed at home. Wow. That that was a blackout that whole time. Erased the memory tape, didn't it? That's correct. We are also joined this afternoon, and I am so thankful to you for joining us, Dr. Jenny Johnson, a sports medicine specialist who has um, uh, a special interest in athletic concussions. Dr. Johnson, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dr. Brinkman. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm happy to be with you guys. Dr. Johnson, tell us, what is a concussion? Well, we, we describe a concussion as an alteration in mental status um, that is induced by trauma. And it, it may or it may not involve loss of consciousness. So the one that uh, Jack was just describing where he was blacked out until he got home, that's actually, that only occurs in about 10% of cases. So 90% of the time, you don't actually black out. Um, so, so it's, you know, you, you take a hit and it can be a hit to the head. It can be a hit to somewhere else on the body with a transmitted force to the head, or it can just be a sudden deceleration or sudden rotational motion that creates this, the trauma that, that induces the concussion. So you're saying that even if the head is not struck, that the acceleration, deceleration, or rotation can be enough to alter brain functioning? Absolutely. You know, I think we all, our, our uh, general idea of a concussion is, you know, we're, we're watching a football game and then there's two players that hit head-to-head and everybody hears the clash of the helmets and one of them blacks out and the crowd hushes. And I think that's what we all assume is a concussion, but that is, that is a rare event. You know, it's, it's a lot more um, sublime most of the time. It's, it can be a sudden deceleration or a sudden rotational motion, and more often that's, that's what we see. When uh, players are on the field and there's a lot of excitement, a lot of intensity, a lot of action, mm-hmm. how does a sports medicine specialist, how does a trainer know when a concussion has occurred? Well, that's, that's a really good question, and, and sometimes concussions can be a bit tricky to diagnose. Um, the most important thing, first off, is, is you want to assess the athlete. You know, is the athlete even conscious at that point, and, and sometimes they're not. Um, you certainly want to make sure there's no, there's no concomitant injury like a neck injury or a facial fracture. Um, but, you know, if they're, if they're unconscious, you, you pretty much assume that there has been a traumatic injury, concussion at the least, um, but more worrisome things could, could certainly enter your mind. 
Um, if the if the athlete is conscious, then you you certainly want to ask them about their symptoms. Um, you know, hopefully you were watching the play and you saw exactly what happened, so you you know that background. But you want to know how they feel. Um, you you know you want to know specific things. You ask them if they have a headache, if they feel dizzy, if they're confused. Um, and you want to know how their brain is functioning. And so you there are different assays that you can do on the sideline. Um, to, to get an idea of their mental status or their brain functioning. Um, one that I commonly use is a SCAT, and I think that that is, is most often used uh, by sideline doctors or athletic trainers. Um, it, is, it stands for the Sports Concussive Assessment Tool. And, and that just, you know, some, some little mind tricks and, and, and tests that you ask them to go through, um, subtracting backwards and remembering certain words that you give them, um, also testing their balance. Those are things that you're going to want to do on the sideline. But, but sometimes it is a little bit tricky, and sometimes you may not be able to tell definitively right then and there. But I think um, one, of the, one of the major things that has, has been coming out more recently is what we say, when in doubt, sit them out. So if you have any question in your mind that there might be a concussion there, um, you're going to want to play it on the safe side and, and call it a concussion and, until you're, you can prove it otherwise. How long does that player stay out of the game? Well, that depends. Um, you know, prior to 2008, we had pretty stringent rules um, in, regarding concussions, and we would grade them, grade one, grade two, grade three, based on whether or not there was loss of consciousness, based on how long uh, their symptoms persisted. But we don't do that. Ever since uh, something called the Zurich Conference in 2008, we, we say a concussion is a concussion. And so... We, it, it depends on the athlete how long that they're going to be out. You know, uh, 80 to 90% of concussions are resolved within 7 to 10 days. So that's what I tell my athletes. You know, that's potentially they'll be, they'll be back within 7 to 10 days or they'll be asymptomatic. Um, but, but certainly that's not true for everybody. And athletes who have already had multiple concussions or athletes who have what we call modifying factors, and that could be something like, um, a past history of ADHD or a past history of migraine headaches or sleep disturbances, um, those types of athletes, they may take longer, and we actually we assume that they will take longer. Well, Jack, Dr. Johnson describes a concussion. Does that sound at all familiar to you? Yeah, it does. It really does. How many concussions do you estimate that you had in your career? Well, I... Uh, I played for 15 years, uh, 11 pro, four college, and maybe I didn't add it right. But anyway, it's uh, and uh, there wasn't very many, very many seasons that I didn't get dinged at least once that I remember. And uh, so I don't know. Was that your? So if you're in a big game and you get dinged, you experience a concussion. Are you going to go to the trainer and say, I think I experienced a concussion? Uh, not normally, no. Because, because if you're not out, you know, if you're, not, if you're not knocked out, you just go back and say, well, I'll shake it off and I'll be okay the next play. There's a certain culture, isn't there? A culture of toughness, a culture of overcoming injury. Well, yeah, you don't... You don't want to. You don't want to wuss too early. You know. I mean, uh, there's some. Uh, I just. I just didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to get out of the game or let my teammates down or 
uh, <clears throat> not be able to play. I loved the game unless it was absolutely necessary. So And so pushing through the concussion is like pushing through an ankle sprain. That's correct. Or a knee sprain or something like that. As long as as long as I you know, as long as I'm going the right direction and you know, I'm cognizant enough. Of course a lot of times you run the plays over and over again and I I'm sure I've run many plays. And because I don't remember the plays, but I knew where to go because, you know, they're just automatic. Well, that um, that culture probably makes it more difficult to identify concussions. And yet people sit in the stands because they want to see that um, intensity. That's correct. They want to see that, that competitiveness, right. that toughness. Right. And so that does make things uh, a little bit different. Well, without without that expectation and without part, without that part of the game, the game is not what it is. Well, we are going to go to a commercial break. And Dr. Johnson, when we come back, what I'd like to ask you about is um, this culture that um, makes a player want to push through a concussion as if it's an ankle sprain. So we are going to take a commercial break and we will be right back. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters. 
the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to NeuroMatters. Welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate you staying with us. We are talking with Canadian Football League Hall of Famer Jack Abinchin and Dr. Jenny Johnson, a sports medicine specialist. And our topic is concussion and chronic traumatic encephalopathy. As I mentioned earlier, memory disorders, dementia can be caused by many different things. And there is increased awareness of the role of a single concussion or an accumulation of concussions and the long-term effect that that can have on a person's memory and other cognitive abilities. So, Dr. Johnson, you explained what a concussion is and some of the symptoms of a concussion. When a concussion occurs to an athlete who is usually young and usually in excellent physical health and physical condition, how do you manage that concussion from there? Well, really... The gold standard of concussion management is complete brain shutdown. And so, um, and, and as you said, it is usually a young kid, most often a high school student um, and a college student. Um, and that is, that's pretty excruciating for them, and that's hard for them to understand. But when I say complete brain shutdown, what that means is total physical rest and total cognitive rest. Um, you know, for that athlete, physical rest means, first of all, they, they do not go back into play that same day. Um, and that is across the board in the NCAA. Um, you know, here in Texas, we have a law that states that. In all states except for Mississippi, actually, we've, we've got laws um, in place that do not allow return to play same day. So physical rest, um, but, but through, through the entirety of the symptomatic phase, physical rest. I don't let them, and, and this does vary um, depending on the sports medicine physician, but I will not let them go for a jog, go for a bike ride, shoot some hoops in the backyard. I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty stringent on that while they're still symptomatic. Um, and the other component is, is cognitive rest, and this is extraordinarily important. Um, again, for a high school uh, or collegiate student, this is very difficult because they're in classes and, and sometimes they're in the middle of their finals week. Um, but, you know, I will, I will always send a note to their professors or to their teachers or call to communicate with them um, that the student might not be able to go to school um, because the, the worst thing you can do to a concussed brain is, is make it concentrate. And so just being in class is, is pretty excruciating for these athletes and these students. Um, so, you know, no school, and then when they feel like they can start going back, you know, start at half days and kind of work up from there. Um, no cell phones, no texting, no TVs, uh, certainly no driving, no loud music, um, and, and any type of academic modification we can do for them. So once they're back in school, um, you know, I ask that they have tutoring and, and, and limited or no computer usage for homework, decreased assignments, um, you know, delayed uh, times to turn in their assignments. Um, so anything that we can do to, to really emphasize complete physical and cognitive rest for the athlete. Um, rarely I, I will use medicine, and I unfortunately, you know, I tell, I tell my, my patients I wish there was just a magic cure-all concussion-be-gone pill, and there's not, um, of course. But, but sometimes there is a place for medical therapy, and, and that is typically if, if 
symptoms have been prolonged past the recovery period of what we normally would expect. So for me, that's after about a month if they're still symptomatic and if there is just, you know, one real symptom that we can target. And I think the important thing to know about medical therapies is that we're not curing the concussion. We're just treating a symptom. Um, so we want to be really careful with starting any type of medicine, you know, knowing there will be side effects or there could be side effects, um, and also knowing that that athlete cannot return to play while they're taking that medicine. Um, so that's, you know, really that's the rare, the rare instance that I will use medication. So let me get this straight. No TV. Right. No, no loud music. I guess you're going to take the Xbox away from them too, right? Absolutely. I, I tell them this is like you're grounded. That's what I tell uh-huh. these kids. And they're devastated until I get to the part where I talk about school and that they don't have to do their homework, and then that, that makes it okay. That brightens them up a little bit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess that'd be okay as long as you talk to their professors as well, eh? Absolutely, yes. You know, the the sports medicine physician or the the doc taking care of of the athlete really needs to communicate with the school um, in in this type of instance, yes. So this is different from um, the degree of caution taken with a sprained ankle or a sprained knee, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Um, The ramifications of of letting an athlete go back in to a, a... a game situation before they're fully recovered um, could could be very devastating, much worse than than a sprained ankle or a, an injured knee. Jack, when playing for the Rough Riders, whose cap I continue to wear with great pride, <laughs> when you had a concussion, did you willingly go out of a game? No, no, no. I. I the only the only the only time I go out of the game willingly is is if the coach could tell I was there was something wrong and he sends somebody else in. Um, I think yeah I think there was only one time that I was I was really dizzy and I just you know I just put my hand up and said you know I need a sub. But that was that was uh, the only time in many times that. Uh, that I felt that sensation. One of the things that a young and uh, physically fit athlete does not think of is something called second impact syndrome. Dr. Johnson, would you tell us what that is? Yes, second impact syndrome is is a pretty uh, descriptive name, and and that is exactly what it is. It's an athlete um, or a person who's had a, a concussion and is still currently symptomatic from that brain injury, from that concussion, and they receive a second injury. Um, what, what is actually happening in this process is that they uh, have decompensation of, of the ability of their brain to auto-regulate blood flow. So what that means, you know, we all, all of us who are not concussed and normally functioning, our bodies can regulate how much blood is flowing into our brain at any given point in time. And, and that's important because, as you know, our skulls do not expand. So... If, if too much blood gets into our brain, there's nothing our school can do to accommodate that. Well, in second impact syndrome, a concussed individual who takes a second hit or receives a second hit, um, their brain is no longer able to regulate the amount of blood that's flowing into it. And so basically the brain swells, and it swells to the point that um, the skull can no, longer, can no longer hold it, and so the brain will herniate or will fall through 
the foramen magnum, which is the hole in the bottom of the skull where the brain stem comes through, um, and the brain will herniate and, and crush the brain stem and, and result in death. Um, and this is, you know, this is certainly not a common thing that we see, um, but this is, this is the worst-case scenario. And this is the reason that, one of the reasons that we, we do get, get uh, so nervous, not, not nervous, um, but so conscientious about managing concussions properly is because this, this would be a worst-case outcome. And, and this does occur more often it occurs in teenagers, ages 14 through 18 are the most common ages, and it results in death within about three to five minutes of the second hit. So this thing that we refer to as the ding, getting dinged in a football game, right. uh, when uh, when athletes and, and fans talk about it, um, almost trivialize it by calling it a ding, and yet as you describe the events of a concussion and the horrible consequences of second impact syndrome, this is a very, very significant event, an athletic concussion. Exactly. It is, it is catastrophic. It is. I'm going to ask you to discuss briefly or describe briefly what a return to play protocol is. And if you would not mind to, to uh, include in that a little bit about how you measure the deficits of a concussion. Sure. Um, you know, and I'll actually attack the second part of that question first, how we measure the deficits of a concussion. The most, I would say, widely used way um, is, is to do something called impact testing, and this is a type of neuropsychological testing. It's computerized, um, but it, it, it allows us to really break down the way that the brain functions and, and put some uh, subjective measure, I'm sorry, excuse me, objective measure to how the brain is working. Um, impact is, is just one of many different types of neuropsychological tests, but this is the one that's most widely used and widely validated. Um, it is, you know, I tell my patients it's kind of like a video game, but it's certainly not fun like a video game. It is on the computer. It takes about 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, depending on the athlete or the, the patient. And it tests verbal memory, visual memory, visual motor speed, reaction time, and overall cognitive efficiency. And it, it just takes some, some um, a very subjective uh, topic like a concussion and allows, it, allows us to put some objective findings to it, allows us to assign a number to how well a brain is functioning. Um, the best case scenario with, with a test like IMPACT is to have a preseason baseline. Um, and this is something that's becoming more and more common. At this point, uh, more than half of, of, the United, of high schools in the United States are doing baseline IMPACT testing. So they have a preseason test, and then at any given point in time, if an athlete sustains a concussion, Prior to allowing return to play, we retest the athlete, and we can make sure that their scores in terms of cognitive functioning are back up to their baseline. And, and this is, you know, very personal because the, we know the athlete's personal baseline. Um, so once we've done the impact testing or, or any other type of neuropsychological testing, we also have to make sure um, that the athlete is is normal in other ways. So we want a completely normal physical exam, and that means a normal neurological exam and a normal, normal balance. So we put them, I, I do what's called best testing or get a best score, and that's just a way of assessing balance. There's different ways of doing it, um, but the vestibular system is something that's often affected in concussion, and that's part of the neurological exam we need to, we need to uh, look over. Certainly, the athlete has to be completely symptom-free. 
And for me and for most sports medicine physicians, they need to be symptom-free for at least 24 hours before we even consider returning them to play. So those are the, really the, the three things that, that I need to be to, to prove or the athlete needs to prove to me that are normal before I'll consider putting them back in a game. Um, normal physical exam, normal cognitive functioning, and no symptoms. And so once we've established that they are back to normal, um, we put them through what's called a return-to-play protocol. And this is something that the NCAA mandates every uh, different institution or different university come up with their own protocol. And here in Texas, we've got a law, uh, the Texas House Bill 2038, that also mandates the same for each school district. Um, basically, you know, a, a sample return-to-play protocol would be once they're asymptomatic and they, they're able to be cleared by the physician, on day one, they start some very, very light exercise. Um, so they might be doing, you know, five to ten minutes on an exercise bike or going for a jog. If they do fine with that, meaning if they don't develop any symptoms, then 24 hours later on day two, they can progress and do a little bit more vigorous exercise. And, you know, so they might be doing for about 30 minutes, they might be doing some sprints or some burpees, some push-ups, some pull-ups, things like that. If they do well with that, then 24 hours later on day three, they start to do some sports-specific drills. Um, you know, so if in soccer they might be doing some dribbling drills or some kicking. Um, in basketball, they might be doing some free throws. This is non-contact still on day three. And then as long as they do well on that, then 24 hours later on day four, they can do a full contact practice. Uh, and as long as they do well with that, then 24 hours later on day five, they can do full game play. They're cleared. So, and that's, that's just an example. Each institution might have a, a little bit of a variety there, but, but that's a basic idea. Well, that is a very conscientious and very cautious program, and I appreciate you going through that with us. You know, the decisions that are made by the uh, trainer, by the sports medicine specialist, by this, the athlete, and by the family have a lot of bearing on the immediate well-being of that person. But in the long run, there are problems that can come up that uh, will be what we would call late effects of the history of concussions. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Jack about memory difficulties. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. 
The Gray Matter System provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. Welcome back to NeuroMatters. I am Dr. Sam Brinkman, your host, and we are talking with Jack Abinchan, Hall of Famer with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and Dr. Jenny Johnson, sports medicine specialist. And we've talked now about what a concussion is and how concussions are to be managed and, and things like that. But sometimes problems come up long after that last concussion. Jack, when did you start noticing memory problems? Well, I, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but <clears throat> uh, I was working. I was working at, at uh, for Kalium Kalium Chemicals, or no, it was in Abilene. I was working uh, at another job, and I just started not remembering details. My I was personnel director, and uh, I just started noticing that I was not remembering stuff you know and, and i i can't even remember what i wouldn't remember but i knew it was an issue because that's when i started looking mm-hmm. into it so what did you think was going on at that time uh i didn't know you know i i just i, I wanted to find out and uh i didn't first think well it's the concussions you know i uh, i just i didn't know it had been how many years since your last concussion well, uh, 1975, yeah, because that was my last year. And, and the last—that's the last year you played. played yeah. And when were you the personnel manager? And were uh, when you started having difficulties remembering? Oh gosh, it was—it was right after that. Um, after I moved uh, from Saskatchewan to uh, to uh, Abilene. Uh, but I don't remember what years. It was some years later, and you were in the workforce climbing the corporate ladder, doing good things. And I, th- I thought I was climbing the corporate ladder, yes. <laughs> and the corporate ladder collapsed on you, didn't yes, it? it did. <laughs> when did you last work, Jack? Um, <clears throat> I was selling insurance here in Abilene, and uh, that was, I think that was my last job. What is it like now having the memory difficulties? Well, 
it's it's frustrating because I mean I'm patient with them from the point of view two points of view number one I know where it's from you know I, I know what caused it so it's not like why is this happening to me and the other the other thing is because of Marjorie my wife it's it's got to be a frustrating thing for her besides those two things um, I, I, I try not to worry about it because I don't want to be uh, I, I don't want to be uh, obsessive you know uh, psychologically obsessive mm-hmm. over something I can't remember because I know why so there's no sense of getting upset about it I just try to take it as it comes and and uh, I just you know I, I'm concerned about Marjorie because it, it's tough on her because of the burden on her yeah, yeah. we have a caller from the Buckeye State, Ohio. Charlie, welcome to the program. Hello. I really How are you this evening? Program. Oh, thank you. Is there something that you would like to ask either Dr. Johnson or Jack Abenshan? Uh Actually, Dr. Johnson, I, I suppose um, you hear of these head injuries, these concussions and so forth frequently, and it's happening younger and younger, you know, in earlier and earlier grades with football primarily. Mm-hmm. What what uh, what is the expectation for healing? I mean, when uh, when one suffers a heart attack, it's like it really does like terminal damage to a portion of the muscle there. What about concussions? How does that play out? Right, you're exactly right. It's it's incredibly concerning, um, and and we we see concussions more often in children because their brains are more susceptible. Um, you know, there's, there are several different things about the young brain that makes it more vulnerable. One thing is that um, there's a greater proportion of mass to the head than body. Um, they have increased uh, metabolism. Basically, they, they already require more glucose uh, for their brains to work than adults do, and that makes them at greater risk for injury. Um, you know, there's there multiple other things. Their, their brains are not entirely myelinated yet, and myelin is just kind of like the insulation on the electrical cord, basically. So, so they're, they are at, at greater risk um, for injury, and, and the concern, and, and I think that's what I'm hearing you say, is the concern is that um, they're at greater risk for more permanent injuries later on, on down the road. Is that kind of what you're saying? Um, yeah, kind of. I was actually wondering along the lines of what, how does the brain go about with, is, is there much in the way of healing, or once there's a concussion, does it do permanent damage to oh, that I particular... See, I see. Well, you know, we say that concussions are recoverable, um, and, and in most instances they are. It is very, very rare that, that an athlete does not completely recover, especially um, a young kid, because, you know, as I said, there are risks, there are greater risks to, to sustain a concussion, but um, they are more likely to completely heal. You know, it, it is in the older athlete that has already sustained multiple concussions that we see um, it has a more difficult time with completely healing. So, Usually in that pediatric age group, it is their first concussion or, or sadly, maybe already their second, um, but early, early on in their concussion uh, history, hopefully. Um, and so the likelihood that they will heal completely is, is much greater. So, yes, we do, we do expect that that brain will completely heal. We consider uh, age under 18 to be one of those modifying factors that I just kind of briefly mentioned earlier, those, those factors that we know will will lend to a prolonged recovery period. 
So we definitely mm-hmm. expect that kids will take longer to completely recover, but, but we would expect a complete recovery if managed okay. properly. I'll put that, that caveat in. You know, certainly Absolutely. if they go back to play too early, that's a different scenario. Sure. You sure. know, you know, Charlie. There was a study in the late 1970s by a um, neuroscientist named Dorothy Gronwall in New Zealand, and basically she was addressing the question: Does a person recover completely from a concussion? She took a bunch of graduate students who, by history, had had a concussion at least one year ago. They all agreed that they had recovered 100% from the concussions. She took those um, individuals and. Um, a matched control group and used a hypobaric chamber to simulate an altitude of about uh, 10,000 feet and found that in those that had had a history of concussion from which they had recovered 100%, um, there was more memory difficulty than there was in the group that never had concussions. And so what that suggests is that while the healing is good and the brain is absolutely remarkable in what it can endure, at the same time, there's a continuing vulnerability. Wow. Wow. Interesting. I hope a lot of people are hearing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm, Thank you very, I'm much. very grateful to you for your call, Charlie, and uh, please call back again. Thank you. Have a great evening. Thank you. You too. Jack, what were the helmets like when you played football? Uh, this was after the leather helmet era. Yes, it was. I said jokingly. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they were webbed. They had the webbing on uh, just under the, the uh, casing. And that that web was fit to your skull, and there was a there was a, some space between the web and the and the uh, the actual helmet, the mm-hmm. the metal the not metal the the, <laughs> the hard, plastic the hard surface yeah, the hard of the surface, helmet yeah, and uh, so, <clears throat> but that that webbing moved, you know, a little bit. It wasn't it wasn't uh, completely. Uh, especially after the hard uh, contact. And so I don't know if it's the skull hitting against the helmet or if it's just the, the shock of the hit going down through the, the, through the uh, webbing and, uh-huh. then, and then causing the concussion. So I'm not sure about that. Uh-huh. And helmets have been changing. Dr. Johnson, have you stayed up with the changes in equipment? Yeah, I have, um, certainly to some degree. And, and one thing that's, that's really, I think, an interesting, an interesting thought, because it, it sure contradicts what common sense would dictate, helmets have not been shown um, to, to uh, prevent concussion. Um, studies have shown that certainly there is a reduction in impact forces to the brain, which one would conclude, well, well, certainly that should decrease risk of concussion. But it has not been translated to decrease risk of concussion in, in scientific studies. Um, you know, there certainly are, are multiple different helmet manufacturers who are marketing, uh, you know, that our, our, our helmets are better at, at concussion prevention than another helmet, but there, there hasn't been one. Um, to to reliably decrease the risk, and I kind of describe it. Um, and this is you know this is a silly little example, but I, I describe helmet use um, kind of like this. You know, imagine a fishbowl filled with Jello. If I take that fishbowl and shake it around and then drop it on the floor, the Jello is going to get really really jumbled up, and my fishbowl might break. 
Now, if I take that, that jello-filled fish bowl and wrap it in bubble wrap and then shake it around and drop it on the floor, my jello is still going to get really, really scrambled up, but my fish bowl might not break because of, because of the bubble wrap. And so, you know, helmets, we, we definitely know that they decrease the risk of, of skull fractures and facial fractures, um, but, you know, your jello is still at risk of getting jam- jumbled up. Well, that's an excellent point, and and uh, a part of what you're saying, obviously, is that um, a hard surface with a soft undersurface um, is not going to prevent acceleration, deceleration, or rotation injury. Am I getting it right? Exactly. That's exactly right. You know, it's interesting when we look at the history of boxing. It's a good model for uh, for studying concussion because it's the only sport that I'm aware of in which the intent of the athletes is to inflict a concussion on each other. And when people fought bare-fisted and uh, a boxer struck his opponent in the face, two things hurt, one man's face and the other man's fist. Mm-hmm. When you When they went to boxing gloves... Only the face hurt, the fist did not hurt, and therefore hard punches could continue longer and more frequently during a match. And that makes me wonder about the degree to which um, the helmet um, as a weapon has enabled more crushing forces coming together. Exactly. Yeah, it probably gives us a little bit of a false sense of security, too. Well, thank you for that explanation. We are going to go to break, and uh, when we come back, we will continue to talk with Jack Abenchand and Dr. Jenny Johnson. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matter System provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Caring for someone with autism can be full of challenges and triumphs. Wherever you are on your autism journey, we all benefit from good information and guidance. Join host Rob Haupt every week for a friendly show that will leave you inspired and informed. Tune in to Autism Spectrum Radio. Our guests include parents, advocates, and experts to discuss current experiences, treatments, and breakthroughs for those living with autism. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. Welcome back to our conversation with Hall of Famer Jack Abenshan and sports medicine specialist Dr. Jenny Johnson. We have another caller, Anna from Texas. Welcome to the program, Anna. Hi. Do you have a question for one of our esteemed guests? I do. I have a question for Jack. Okay. Okay. So it kind of seems to me like there's been an increased awareness of the risk of concussions in professional um, professional sports and especially with football players, but they still kind of consciously make a decision to play knowing the risk. So I have two questions for you, actually. The first one is, like, knowing what you know now and where you are now, do you wish you wouldn't have played? No, I would. I would have. I would play all over again. Would. I, yeah, that's that's part of the. <clears throat> that's part of being being successful in the sport is that you love it so much that you're gonna you want to take that risk. Uh, I'd probably look for maybe th- thicker helmets or something like that, but uh, or smaller opponents. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> that, that doesn't happen. But uh, <clears throat> but yeah, I I, I would uh, I would didn't I don't rue a, a day that I played other than the fact that this is happening, but I'd I'd play again. Okay. And what is your other question? That kind of answered my other question. I was going to ask him what he thought about the people now who play knowingly, like knowing the risks, but still play. Yeah. It's the love of the game, ma'am. You, you know, you say, you know, not everybody has that issue. So you think it's not going to happen to you and you just go ahead and play. Anna, are you an athlete? Uh, no, have, I used, I used to play. What did you play? I used to play soccer. You know, soccer is a fascinating and, and thoroughly enjoyable sport. Um, heading the ball. Were you good at that? I was actually terrible at it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I guess you realized then in your love of that game and Jack's love of this game that we have risks, don't we? Yeah. And we just try to measure our risks. Yeah. Is there is there anything else that you would like to comment on or ask Dr. Johnson or Jack? Um, no, I don't think so. Well, thank you so much for calling. I hope that you will call again in the future, and thanks for listening today. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. So, risk. You know, life has a lot of risks in it, and Jack is nodding his head emphatically here. When you are young and invincible, risks are about other people, right? That's correct. (laughs) That's correct. What do you think now? about um, attempting to manage the concussion rate with, let's say, rule changes where a running back cannot lead with his head uh, into uh, an attempted tackle? Well, <clears throat> I think if you get into that type, of, that type of alteration, you change the whole 
you change the whole uh, idea of the game. If you get to the point to where you're trying not to hit your head, then, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's almost like the powder puff comes to mind. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's not the same game. It's, it's you know, it, it's you don't want to call it football if you start doing that. And, you know, and I'm... Uh, you know, that's that's how I look at it. And Dr. Johnson, we have, of course, we, we look at equipment upgrades and improvements, and we look at attempts at making rule changes, um, and uh, we also look at better protocols for managing concussions. What else is out there? What else is available in terms of attempting to um, minimize the risk of concussion? Right. Well, just recently, um, at least, you know, for kids in Pop Warner, um, they have decided to limit contact uh, during practice to only one-third of the, of the weekly practice time. So that's one thing that's thought that is going to help. Um, you know, jury's out at this point to see if it will help. Um, also, education is so important. Uh, Heads Up Football is a great program uh, created by USA Football and the NFL where we, we teach proper te- tackling techniques and we, um, we talk about equipment, proper fits, and things like that. In the NFL, uh, it is now required that each team, in addition to their own sports medicine physician, they have an independent neurologist. And I think that this is a brilliant idea um, because there's a lot of pressure on the on this physician to, you know, kind of get that player back in the game and kind of brush off, oh, maybe it's a headache, but maybe you just have a sinus problem. So we've got an independent neurologist who does not have any, it doesn't feel the pressure. Um, and, and a lot of further research is going on right now. Um, blood biomarkers or serum biomarkers being tested on the sidelines is something I think is really interesting that, that could be coming up. So well, thank you. Yes, thank you so much for updating us in that area because this is a very, very serious situation, as we all agree. And I want uh, you, Dr. Johnson, to know how much I appreciate you taking time from your schedule to give us your expertise and your experiences in this area. And Jack, my Hall of Famer friend who has autographed this Saskatchewan Rough Riders cap that I'm wearing at this moment, thank you also for sharing your experiences oh, with my, us. My pleasure. We have interesting programs coming up two weeks from today. We will be talking about brain changes that sometimes occur with uh, cancer therapy, what is sometimes referred to as chemo brain. And our guest will be Dr. Chris Myers, who spent her career at MD Anderson Hospital in Houston. And then following that, we're going to talk about training of nurses who will be providing care in many different settings for people with memory disorders. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk next week. Thank you for listening to Neuro Matters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.